0: Those who have a relationship with Jesus Christ will be spared of what we know the tribulation. But it doesn't take away our responsibility. In fact, the more I study the end times, the more I recognize and realize that we are given a responsibility to share this news. And the more that you come to grips with how great your salvation is, the less you want to just keep it for yourself and the more you want to give it away. Our salvation was never intended to stop with us. And sometimes it does, and it's easy to get into those ruts of just running only with Christian people and and growing in our faith, but never mentoring and loving and expressing our faith. Today, we will take a close look at why I believe that the tribulation is near, and we're going to take a look at some of the components of the tribulation. We're also going to take a look at why I personally believe quickly that The church of Jesus Christ will be raptured before the tribulation. Let me just uh, put a timeline back up here so that we can, if you weren't here last week and give reference to it today, as we talk about the future things, we got to recognize that God has charted out in, in a way that's pretty clear when scripture is unfolded, when it's expounded, when it's exegeted. But when we look at the future events, we know that there's a timeline that's been marked out on this timeline. And and I just want to mark this out, and so you can have some reference today. If this is your first Sunday in this series, we'll just represent this as today. So right now, this is where we're at. And if I was being uh, more closer to what I believe, I would place the rapture closer to this day. But for the, sight, uh, the, the sake of writing here, the next event that I see on end times is the rapture, which begins what we know is the tribulation period. And this period is seven years. So from a time frame, let's just put that in perspective. The tribulation is seven years and so that you can have some reference too. And the next thing that's on that timeline after the seven years is what we would call the thousand year millennial reign. And so This period is the thousand-year millennial reign. And then, a a reference to what we know in Scripture, that one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth, and those of us who are born again and know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior will be ushered into what uh, theologians would use as called the eternal state. And this eternal state is for Christ followers only. This is where you'll read in Revelation, and we'll take a look at it in the weeks ahead, the new heaven and the new earth. And we'll, give, we'll spend some time expressing that. And we'll also talk at the end, there's a battle of Armageddon, there's a second coming of Christ that we believe happens at the end of the tribulation period, the second coming. And then there's a battle that we're part of there, and then the thousand-year millennial reign, beginning of this, we look last week, this is where Satan is thrown into prison and locked up, and at the end of the thousand-year reign, Satan is freed, and then he is totally defeated, thrown into the lake of burning sulfur with the false prophet and the, um, and, and the beast. And then as a result of that, this ends, as we know, any kind of sin and death, and this is where we spend eternity. So yeah, praise God for that. Um, Well, that's it. Let's just go home. Let's have (laughs) baptisms. I wish it was that easy. Uh, But it is important to know that eventually, sometimes you can get locked up in some of these details. And sometimes you want to argue them out. and, and, And the point is that we're here. And if you have a relationship with Jesus, you end up there. But the goal is this. While we're still alive today, while you and I are still alive today... We need to bring others to saving knowledge of Christ so that they don't have to experience this and so that they don't have to endure the tribulation period and so that they can come to Christ because it would be very difficult and it will be very difficult to come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior. However, there will, and we'll look today, there will be a period of time where I believe many will come to Christ, but I believe they'll die a martyr's death because of taking the stand for Jesus. All that to say this, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, we have a responsibility to live out our faith. And uh, sometimes we lose sight of that in the busyness of life, sometimes really good things. And sometimes we we just run into our, our huddles with believers and we neglect the world that needs Christ and, and, and we don't share our faith. And sometimes we let these things, I would call the non-negotiables in our lives that we talked a little bit about last week that... Well, God, I'm willing to do this, but I'm not willing to give up this because this is really an important thing. And the minute we let those things that take more of our time, the value that we place in them, and we begin to place more value in a dream, a goal, a business venture, whatever it is, when we begin to let that take all of our time and we begin to say, no, I'm not giving that up when God comes to us and wants us to give it up so that we can do something else for him, we begin to worship that. And if you worship anything outside of Jesus Christ, you have an idol in your life. And so we want to remove those non-negotiables. And so I, I was given some perspective this week. I have a, a friend um, that I know from college and seminary. We we entered college together and took some classes together at Grace. And 2009, he was diagnosed with a stage four colon cancer. And so he was given... Uh, the, the news that he probably wouldn 't make it twenty months this past week, my friend passed away. He was married and was in his 40s and um, he was a pastor um, wasn 't when he ended up he was involved in ministry and was involved in mission teams. but prior to his passing, the six months before he died, he began to blog entries of what God was doing in his heart and how God was shaping him and refining him and and so I came across these blog entries and I know this for certain. I know that he's in heaven with Christ because to be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5, 8 tells us. In the moment you die, your soul goes to heaven, your body remains in the grave and it will meet later, 1 Thessalonians four sixteen to 17 through 18, we looked at last week, that when the rapture occurs, those who are dead in Christ, the bodies will immediately be thrown into the air into heaven to meet their soul. And those of us who are still alive will have a new resurrected body, will join Christ. My friend, without a doubt, is in heaven with Christ. Yet prior to his death, he wrote some words that I think are good for us to hear today. Because sometimes we live as though our lives will never end. And, and we live thinking that we have tomorrow or a year from now or 10 years from now or 20 or 30 He wrote these words that I want to read to you on May 10, prior to his death. These are my friend's words. As I journey towards life's end, I find that my former interests and desires continue to fade away. This applies to almost all aspects of my life. My appetite for certain foods and drinks, for example, has all but disappeared. A 17th century Scottish minister named Henry Scougall Communicated in a sermon that a person's soul can best be measured by the object of its affection. As I reflect back on my life, I am saddened by my own misplaced affections. For many who know me, they were meaningless to me now. How much have I invested in the things that entertain me? How much focus I've placed on things as opposed to people? For those of you who know me, what have been the true objects of my affections? He said, if I'm honest, my affections at times have been too high for all the following. Sports and recreation. Education. Position slash career in a variety of fields. Money and entertainment. And then he wrote these words in the close to this blog dated May 10. Despite the above grocery list of misplaced affections, the times I've been most happy content in my life have been when I pursued Christ and his great commission, both here in the U.S. and around the world. This is a different lesson for a different time. I am so thankful, he said, to be sick because my misplaced affections are being destroyed one by one. God causes everything to work out for good for those that love him. Now, this is a man that understood the brevity of life. This is a man that realized that life was fragile. And this is a man that had no idea that in his death, he would still speak. All that to say this, sometimes in the midst of studying scripture and studying in times, It's real easy to lose sight of because of all the details and what's taking place of why we're here. I believe this with all my heart. And my hope is this as we go through this end time study, that it causes you and me to really become bold in our faith and telling others about Christ so that they don't have to experience what we're talking about. And ultimately, if they turn and reject Christ through all the periods of the tribulation, spend eternity in hell. Grab your Bibles, and we're going to go through a journey today talking about the end times. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. But turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you open up your New Testament, you'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, and I want to once again to look at a passage that describes the rapture of the church. When you find 1 Corinthians 15, stand with me, and we're going to read verses 51 through 54. This is a a rapture passage. This is a reference to Christ rapturing the church before the tribulation, and I'm going to tell you why I believe that in a few minutes. But turn, 1 Corinthians 15, let's read 51 through 54. Would you read it out loud with me? Ready, read. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true, death has swallowed up in victory. You may have a seat. There's a reference here to, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, First Thessalonians 4, 16, 18 talks about the trumpet call of God. John chapter 14, verses 1 to 3, Jesus talking about the rapture. It's the only indication in Scripture where he actually refers and speaks at length about the rapture. That It says that he's going to prepare a place for us. Some translation says he's building a mansion for us. And he said he's going there, and one day he's coming back to take us to be with him. So there's this sense that he's coming down, he's grabbing us, he's rapturing us out. means to take out or to remove. He's taking us to be with him and we can meet him there in heaven. I want to give you why I believe personally in a pre-tribulational rapture view. Now let me explain that. You know, sometimes you hear these big words and you might think, well, why does it even matter? And just, well, just for, this is why I believe what I believe. There are many views out there that, and I'm not here to to, to tell you why I don't believe the other views. I'm here to tell you why I believe this view, which is the most predominant view in, in Christianity. But I think it's good to defend your faith. I mean, we should all be apologists where we should be able to defend our faith. This is the tribulation period. We just talked about the seven years. I want to tell you today why I believe in a pre-tribulational view. Pre means that we will be raptured before the tribulation starts. Pre, that means the rapture will occur and it will usher in what we would call the seven-year tribulation period. So I believe in a pre-tribulation, a pre-millennial view. Pre-millennial means that it happens before the millennial reign. So there's a thousand years here. So my view is this, that this is where the church is raptured. This is where Christ followers are taken out of off-planet earth. And once that moment happens, and we'll see, that's when the Antichrist comes on the scene. But I'm going to tell you why I believe this is true. In each case, the church is taking to heaven and out of the world. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, and John 14. In each of those cases, Christ does not come to earth. He takes us to heaven. If you look at those passages, we looked at them last week. If that is the second coming, what is the point? Now, really think about this. Some would have a view that, that... And it's okay. I mean, that's their view, because ultimately we're all going to end up here. We have a relationship with Christ. They would have what would be called a mid-trib view. They believe that the church is raptured out after the first three and a half years. And then there's a post-trib view. They believe that the rapture occurs here at the end of the tribulation. I am going to show you why I believe. And I believe that the second coming of Christ we looked last week is at the end of the tribulation. Just think about this for a second. What is the point of getting snatched out of here and then come immediately back? If, in fact, the, 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 the tribulation or the rapture occurs at the end of the tribulation, what is the point of him rapturing us, calling us out, we get raptured into heaven, he takes them, we take a quick look at our mansion, and then we come straight back you know, I understand the thinking behind that. I'm not here to, to, to lower someone's view, but in my thinking, what is the point? If that's, what's the point, second, what's the point of second coming of Christ? Calls us up and then brings us right back. Secondly, I would say this, there is no mention of the church after Revelation chapter five. Now we're going to look at Revelation chapter six today. There's no mention of a church. Yet in the first three chapters of Revelation, the church, saints, followers of Christ, are mentioned 19 times. And after that, there's no mention of them on earth. One can conclude, and I would, then the church is gone and raptured. Because if the events of Revelation 6, we're going to look at the uh, the seals today, if that is reference to the tribulation, why isn't the church mentioned in chapters 4 and 5? Why does it stop in chapter 3, 1, 2, and 3? Because I believe that the church has been raptured. Otherwise, there's a group called the 24 elders, which I believe are a reference to the glorified church. Thirdly, why I believe that the pre- tribulational rapture. Turn to Revelation chapter 3, and I'll show you why. This is Revelation 1, 2, and 3 is the last time you'll see reference to the church, the saints of Christ. Turn to Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10. Here's another reason why I believe in a pre or pre-millennial rapture of the church. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 10 says this. These were Jesus' words. He says, since you have kept my commandments to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of what? That is going to come on the whole earth to test the inhabitants of the of the earth. The word from, in this context here, this, just, this is important. Sometimes I don't go there, but this is important. In the Greek, it literally means this. It means out of. I'm going to protect you out of the wrath to come, the trials to come. I will keep you from that. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 gives that same reminder. Rescue us from the coming wrath. The context of this chapter is, is the rapture, not the second coming, which is later at the end of the tribulation. I also believe that this view here, that if you believe in a pre-tribulational view, that it gives, a, 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 it appears to have, and I would say strongly does, an eminent view. Now the word eminent means surprise. It's like, you don't know when it's coming. You have no idea when it's coming. It's like, Wow, that just kind of happened. And so a pre-tribulational view in my mind, it, it lets, lends to it could happen at any moment. It creates a sense of unknown, but it could happen today. The other views take away the eminent view. Because if the Antichrist helped sign the peace treaty at the beginning of the tribulation, now think about this. If the Antichrist, and we're still around, and the Antichrist signs a peace treaty at the beginning, we're pretty smart. We can say, well, 42 months from now, three and a half years from now, we could compute and say, that's when the rapture of the church is going to happen. That takes away the concept of an eminent view. You're not going to be surprised. In fact, you're going to be waiting If you're enduring the tribulation, you can't wait till that moment when the church is raptured and you will be marking off your calendars for three and a half years. It takes away the twinkling of an eye, the surprise moment. I also believe we are not appointed to wrath. Look at 1 Thessalonians in your New Testament. Please turn there, 1 Thessalonians. And you'll want to mark these verses and go back and look at them later because I think it's good to defend your faith. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9. It says this. This is a reference to the day of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 was reference to 4.16, to the rapture. But look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 9. Paul said, For God did not appoint us to suffer what? But to receive what? Salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. This passage follows chapter 4, which is talking about the rapture. We are receiving what? What's it say we are receiving here? Salvation. Now think about that for a second. This cannot refer to the believers being delivered from the time of wrath because the saints who live during the tribulation will most likely be martyred. And so when you think about that, you don't deliver a dead person. You don't rapture a dead person. Another reason I believe that. Another reason I believe that in a pre-tribulational, pre-millennial view of, 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 of the end times is that the Antichrist cannot be revealed until the restrainer is removed. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7 and 8. This all sets up because I think it's important to have a sequential view of eschatology, which means future things. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 7 and 8. Paul once again said this, For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, the Antichrist, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The tribulation cannot occur until the restrainer is removed. Lastly, This is just a practical application. I don't have any warnings of any kind in scripture or any instructions given to me or the church on how to endure the tribulation. Like you would think that Jesus would have left some instruction and said, hey, this is how you should endure the tribulation. This is what you need to do. This is how you should live. But there's no instruction given at all. We don't even get a dress in how to survive in an antichrist world. Yet, in Titus 2.13, talks about the blessed hope that is coming. And what is told to the church is not strong in warning, but strong on hope. That's why I believe. Think about the tribulation period now. Just pause and pull away. Let's just think practically what that means. Here's what that means. If Christ raptured the church today, you're leaving Grace Community Church. You're leaving the parking lot. Suppose between here and home, the rapture of the church occurred for Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, and John 14 gives reference to it. What if the church was raptured? Here's what I mean. You be driving, whomever is born again and saved and has a life-saving relationship in your vehicle, they are gone. They, their clothes will remain, their bodies will be gone, their souls will be gone. And so imagine if you're driving along, all of a sudden, and you're the driver, there is no driver there will be cataclysmic crashes all across our world. Imagine if you're, if you're we have jet pilots here. If George Hofsomner is flying one of his American Airlines jets across our country. And he's the pilot that day. Let me tell you what will happen to that. It will fly into the earth itself. There will be cataclysmic collisions all across our world, not just in America. But if America by, by numbers is 25 to 30% Christian, the majority of Christians in our world will be ushered out. Now think through that for a second. That's going to be quite a mess. During that time, the Antichrist we looked at will appear on the scenes to try to bring peace to this chaos. So it's going to be a chaotic scene. You want to see riots like you've never seen before? This will be when it happens. Now turn to Daniel in the Old Testament. And this is, Daniel gives a lot of reference to the end times. Turn to Daniel. You'll have Ezekiel and then you'll have Daniel. Turn to Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. We're going to set up some of the events of the, knowing that the Antichrist appears on the scene after the tribulation occurs. Look at Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. The author says here, the Antichrist, this is a reference him. he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. The Antichrist will, receive, will deceive the masses at the beginning. He'll be marched on the scene. There'll be this chaotic, cataclysmic earthquakes. There'll be crashes all across our world. And someone needs to appear to bring peace to our world this antichrist will appear on the scene and he will all of a sudden be leading this one world government and everyone will look to him somehow he will woo the masses with i showed last week he'll be a a great orator he'll be attractive he'll be this person who'd be able to step on the scenes and all of a sudden everyone will look to him and he's going to say it's okay everything's okay And I believe technology will take video and and they'll they'll tweak it and they'll edit it to make it look like it didn't take place. And and this big lie will be cast upon people. And this person that's leading the Antichrist will make everyone believe that he has all the answers. He will deceive the masses with trickery. People have often asked me, why, 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 like we talked last week, why is Israel so important? Well, why, why, why do you even want to attack Israel? Well, let me give you some, some insight that I think is very important. Think about Israel for a second. I want you to think one of the primary reasons is because of their wealth. The first reason... Well, people, they'll be attacked. Russia will attack them. It's to seize her land. The second reason is to take plunder. But listen to this, some of these stats regarding Israel. We looked at some last week, but here's some more. Israel is now home to more than 7,200 millionaires. Of the 500 wealthiest people in the world, six are now Israeli. And all told, Israel's rich... Has had assets in year 2007 of more than $35 billion. Success and wealth in the high tech industry has placed this place as an extraordinary place. In 2007, 70 billion of their services were exported including $34.2 billion from the technology sector alone. Finally, invading their nation has an ultimate goal of slaughtering their people. The primary reason people want to get to Israel and, and it gets attacked by Russia is because, and the reason it's on the scene is because God, we showed last week, God blesses the Jewish people and we in turn are blessed by helping them. But the reason is because of their wealth and their position, their prime position in the Middle East. We also know that during the tribulation that we'll look at in a few weeks, I want to set you up with some post stuff, and then we'll talk about the time of. Turn to Revelation chapter 7. I'm giving you a lot of information, but this kind of fills in some of the gaps. It's difficult to talk about a thousand and seven years in six weeks. Turn to Revelation chapter 7. Some people have often asked me, do people get saved during the tribulation period? Some will say that not many do get saved because they will be tricked, and even if the elect could believe they couldn't. I believe there will be a great soul harvest during the tribulation, especially in the first few months. But they will die a martyr's death because they refuse to take the mark of the beast. Look at Revelation chapter seven and verse nine. John says this. This is post tribulate. This is in the tribulation, and he says this. After this, I looked and there before me was a great what multitude that no one could what? Okay, if you can't count it, that's a lot. Then it says this from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the lamb, they were wearing what kind of robes? And they were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. I believe that during the tribulation period, there will be a great soul harvest at the beginning. And the white robes are a reference to, to people who follow Christ. But they'll die a martyr's death because they haven't taken the mark of the beast. We're going to talk about tribulation period in a second here. Last week and this week, a lot of people ask me because they want to know. So who will be left behind? Be quite frank, if the rapture occurred during this service, there could be people in this room and in the link that would be left behind. Who gets left behind to endure the tribulation that we're about to talk about? Those that are raptured out are believers. Now, you need to read Matthew chapter 7 and if you want to know for sure that you're a follower of Christ. Because many will think on that day that they are. Many will want to stand before God and say, God, but we did this. We served on blitzes, God. We did this in our community. God, we read our Bibles. We went to church. We gave an offering, God. We went on a missions trip, God. We delivered people of these, of these this dark, evil forces around them. God, we did all these things. Many, Scripture says, will think in. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 that only a few will make it in because the road is narrow and it's difficult. However, those of us who have a genuine relationship with Christ, what's genuine? It's a talked about. How do you know whether someone is truly born again? Well, if you're asking me, there has to be fruit. There has to be evidence. There has to be conviction. It's like when you do something that's sinful, if there's not conviction over and over and over and over for periods of sin and you don't have conviction, you've got to ask yourself, was I truly committed to Christ when I said I do? When you come to Christ, you move in a different direction. So a person that's a believer with a genuine commitment to Jesus Christ will be raptured out. And if it isn't, if you don't have a time that you say, this is the moment I drove a stake in the ground and I came to Christ. If you're believing that you can make it on your works, listen to me, grace community. Salvation is by grace through faith through Jesus Christ alone. saw an interesting quote this week that Basically, to summarize, it said this, the only thing that we add to our salvation and our sanctification journey is our sin. (laughs) It's because of our sin that we can be saved. (laughs) The need for salvation. So, only believers are raptured. So the question is this. Let me just pause. Do you know that you know that you know? When you sit here today, as best as you know with absolute certainty... That you are committed follower of Christ. The answer to that question ultimately is answered by our Lord and Savior, but the Holy Spirit confirms it in your heart too. It's best, as you know. Do you know that you're a Christ follower? If you don't know, listen to me. Don't leave this room until you've settled that issue, because you don't want to experience the tribulation. If you're here today and you're thinking, you know what? I'm going to hold on. I'm going to, I'm going to bunker down. I'm going to take my ARs and my AKs and I'm putting some beans away and I'm, I'm, I'm going to be one of these people who's going to battle and I'm going to fight off evil forces. You are kidding yourself. So believers, I also believe that children under the age of accountability will be raptured out. And By the way, God determines that age, not you. So, listen to me. If you're a parent and you have children, live out your faith in front of your kids. Connect Deuteronomy 6 as as you're going and coming along the way. Connect God to their lives. Have spiritual conversation. God talk with your children all the time. Listen, of all people, don't you want to see your own kids come to Christ as parents and fathers? Listen to me, dads. As a spiritual leader of your home, you should be leading the way and telling your kids about Christ. You should be living out your faith in such a way that they look at your life and say, my dad loves Jesus Christ. They should be able to look at your life and see something different about your life. There's an age and an accountability. I believe it's different for different kids. I believe some children are able to comprehend earlier than others are. I believe that God determines that age. And you think about it, how quickly do your kids get facts? How quickly do your kids... Think about intelligence quotient. Think about your IQ. Every person is different. The responsibility falls on the parent that's leading that home. There's an age accountability. I believe that's from when David's baby died. It says he'll see you later in paradise. He'll see his child later in paradise. I believe it comes, built, is built upon that as a logical construct and God's grace and his mercy piles into that. I also believe that mentally challenged adults and kids will be raptured out because of age of accountability. So those that are left behind will walk through the tribulation. Let me just say this too, because sometimes you never know. Christ could come back today. If you remember nothing else from this service, remember this: If you're left behind, and I pray that you're not, don't take the mark of the beast. The minute you take the mark of the beast is a rejection of the spirit, a rejection of God, and it's a ticket to hell. If you want to know more about that, you could go to my YouTube page and you can see Brown Bites at YouTube and I've actually put out there, I feel it's my responsibility to put a video out there for those that are left behind. But a relationship with Jesus Christ alone is what is salvation. So if you haven't made that step, do so before this message is over. Let's take a look at the tribulation period. Turn to Revelation chapter 6, and we are going to look at what I would call the six seals, the period of the tribulation, and we're going to see what's going to happen during the tribulation. Now remember, I believe that the church is raptured out, but there are six seals that take place during the tribulation. And so, look at Revelation chapter 6, and we'll take a look at that. Revelation chapter 6. Let's look at the first seal. Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. I watched as the lamb opened the first of how many seals? Seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder. What did he say? I looked, and there before me was a what color horse? White horse. Its rider held a what? And he was given a what? And he rode out as a conqueror, bent on what? So you see a white horse. I'm going to tell you why I believe this is true. This is reference to the Antichrist. Now look at what it says about the Antichrist here. Look again at verse 2. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and was given a crown. How many in this room, and you can raise your hand and link, how many of you have ever shot uh, a bow? Anybody? Raise your hand. Shot a bow. Thanks. How many of you have ever shot at a target with a bow that didn't have errors? You know, when you look at this passage, it's very clear that this Antichrist is coming on the scene. He has a bow, but there's no reference to an arrow. He comes in peace. Now, if you're going out to attack someone you wanna, and you want to come in peace, you leave the arrows behind. And so he appears on the scene disguised in peace with a bow that has no arrows This is a reference to the Antichrist. He comes on the scene with no arrows because he will reign with diplomacy, not war initially. And he ushers in false peace, signs a covenant of peace, and everyone is looking to somebody. Get us out of this chaos. And this man comes on the scene and brings these nations together. And we're like, whoa! Wow. And people are automatically drawn to this false Christ, this messenger of Satan. He woos the masses and gives people false hope and has the ability to be the answer man. I also believe that Russia will have been destroyed by now. If you read Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 39, it gives credence to that. Russia detests Israel and will want to destroy her, but she doesn't. The second seal is this. It's a red horse. Now, what is a reference to a red horse? What, when John saw this on the Allen of Patmos, what seal, why, why, why a red horse? Why, why is that there? Well, let's read verses three and four of Revelation chapter six. When the land opened the second seal, I heard the sef- second living creature say what again? Come. Then another horse came out. What color was it? fiery red one. Not just red, fiery red one. Its rider was given what? To take peace, where? From the earth. And to make people, what? Kill each other. To him was given a large sword. There's peace on the scene for a period of time. Now this red horse, this, this symbol of war appears on, this, on, on the scene. Now there's war on the scene. Initially there's peace. A fiery red horse comes, the text says. There will be war, an all-out war, an all-out attack against the Antichrist and his one world government. They will not prevail initially, but war is now rampant everywhere. So think about this. If you don't know Christ, you're coming on and all of a sudden, there's war and chaos, and there's going to be craters and from the devastation that took place before, crashes. There's just, there's just going to be a, a lump of destruction, and now there's war on earth taking place. What about the new believers that are alive during this time? I believe they are in hiding at this moment, running from home to home, and many and most will die as martyrs. The next seal we see is represented by a black horse. Now look what it says in this in Revelation, the black horse. Rider on the black horse. Look at verse 5 and 6. When the land opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say what? Here it is again. Come. I looked, and there before me was what color horse? Its rider was holding a pair of what? Then I looked. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages. And do not damage the oil and the wine. The third seal is a rider on the black horse. Let's us know that there's going to be worldwide starvation. Now, let me explain scales. These kind of scales. Have you ever seen these that have weights and balances on them? It's like, it's going to be tilted. The scales are going to say, wow, there's not enough here. And the scales are tilted. So there will be worldwide starvation after this war that's running rampant on planet earth at this time during the tribulation. People will be hungry. And remember, the only way you get fed during this time is if you take the mark of the beast. Let's take a look at that for a second, the mark of the beast. In fact, I was chatting with Darren. He emailed me this week and he was saying that he was at camp this summer and made a reference to the, the beast or the uh, 666, the, the, uh, and one of the kids or kids saying they didn't even know what the beast was in the mark of the beast. Um, hopefully today you'll take this and take time to teach to your children. But Revelation chapter 13, let's take a reference to the mark of the beast. Sometimes if we don't continue to read the word to our kids and they don't have a chance to hear it, they, they don't know what's going on. Look at chapter 13 and verses 16 to 18. It also forced all people, the beast, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a what? Mark on their right hands and on their what? Look at verse 17 of chapter 13. So that they could not buy or sell unless they had the what? Which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. That number is what? 666. Six, six. Now, think about that for a second. There's a lot of study that's been done on this number, but we'll just keep it simple today. 666. Six, six. So, somehow and I believe it'll be a scan, it'll be a representation, the mark. The, read, the number 666, every one of these numbers is short of the perfect number that we know 7. One number short. So, people have asked me too. They've said, Jim, why didn't they put the mark on both hands? And why is it just or? Why is it forehead or? Why isn't forehead and hand? Why we have reference to that? Now, just from a practical perspective, Just, I'm being very practical here. A lot of people during this time could be dismembered. A lot of these people during this time could be tragically have their limbs cut off. And if you have an arm cut off, you could still live. And if you don't have your right hand, there's no way to put a chip in there. But if you are still alive, you still have your head. And your head could bear that mark that can be scanned. There's technology out right now, and it's been out since 2004, after 911 hit on our planet Earth here and the attacks took place, people across the world began to try to develop devices and things to track, to put into place to protect us. And out of that time came in 2004 a chip that was developed called the Vera Chip. This Vera Chip is the size of a piece of rice let me show you take a look at it right here this chip right here is the size of a piece of rice and this chip was developed in 2004 initially to be placed into a person's body or skin and now we know they're in animals we talked last week how many pet owners have already implemented them and place them in their animals so that they can check them and they don't need an, uh a, a, something around their neck since that time they've developed and advanced those into an RFID, a radio frequency indicator, which has been placed into a a variety of things. Any barcode that you have can be scanned in our world today. I mean, seriously, think about this for a second. Our society is moving to a cashless society. And we think, boy, they're doing that for convenience. Sure, it's convenient to be cashless. It's convenient to just pull out your credit card and scan. It's convenient to order on the internet with a PayPal number, cashless. It's convenient to give your number and let it be. It's convenient. I just bought some stuff on the internet for my motorcycle and for our trip to Virginia Beach. It's convenient for me to hit a link that tracks my packages to see where it's at. It's like, it's almost here. You can track anything. It's not just for our convenience. It's ushering in a society that we know from Texas says the only way you'll be fed, the only way you'll enter, the only way you'll get passport to anywhere is if you're scanned, if you have the mark of the beast. Seriously, think about it. Everywhere around us is moving to scanning and barcoding. Even when you're driving, I spent a lot of time on the toll road. I used to stop at the exits and I would pay cash. And after doing that about 50 times, it's like paying the cash and waiting in line. It was an inconvenience. So now they have these Zoom areas. I Zoom. Isn't it nice just I Zoom? It takes a little device that you can buy at the local drugstores. Put it on your window and it scans. You think, whoa, that's convenient. No, it's ushering in what I believe is the tribulation period. Everything is turning to barcodes. Everything is being scanned. Probably a majority of people in this room don't carry cash anymore. We are getting closer to moving to where it'll be completely cashless. Listen to me, Grace. It's not for convenience. It's so that a one-world system can be in place. Do you realize that right now in Spain that there was a club that implanted these chips into the hands of attenders so that they can come and they don't need to carry their wallets, so they're not robbed when they're there and all they have to do is scan for their drinks. That technology is being used in our world today. The next seal we see on the scene, the fourth seal, is the pale horse. The fourth seal. What's the pale horse? Well, let's read it first and then we'll, then we'll move on here. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 7 and 8 says this. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked and there before me was a what horse? Its rider was named What? And Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. The fourth seal is death. There will be death all over the earth. People will be dying left and right. It'll have a pale look to them because they are dead. A quarter of the people on planet earth will be wiped out. And we know from this text that there would be beasts and animals and attacking them. I don't know if you read or study much about this, but I do. I, I'm intrigued and, and want to be a good student of God's word and prepare myself and, and you for the future. Do you realize it right now that there are electronic insects in our world, that technology is developing for, for battle? Do you realize that these insects can infiltrate and go into the enemy's territory and they can detonate bombs? Do you realize that these insects are already being developed for battle zones that they walk in, they fly in and they have cameras on them much like a drone does but it's an insect. You don't have to worry about the insect. Let me show you some of the technologies being developed right now. This is a spider that's being developed for battle and for war. This spider here is used by military forces to go into enemy's territory. It has the ability to detonate bombs, and it has cameras in it that scopes out the enemy's quarters. It's controlled by some electronic device on the other side of the enemy lines. Let me show you another model of a spider that's being developed, a more advanced one. It's a little sleeker. It's being used for the same thing in technology. Do you realize also that there are butterflies being developed that fly into enemy territory. And this butterfly has the same technology as the spider. I mean, who wants to kill a butterfly? This butterfly has technology that can give complete view of the enemy's quarters and can detonate and be used. Another form that's coming out looks more like a mosquito that has steel robotic ability, small, tiny can fly into enemy's territory and be used to knock out and kill. Why do you think technology like this being developed? Because when we move into the tribulation period, beasts and I believe insects and all kinds of technology will place havoc and kill, and there will be death on earth, just like it says in tribulation and fourth seal. The fifth seal, We'll read it quickly and then we'll move on. The fifth seal, Revelation chapter 6 and verse 9 and 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar of the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of what? And their testimony had, they, they had what? They called out in a loud voice, how long sovereign Lord, holy and true until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood. Then each of them was given a white robe and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants or brothers and sisters were killed just as they've been slain. The fifth seal are martyred souls. And these are believers. This is when many who are Christ followers will be killed because they maintain their belief in Christ. This will be the greatest cruelty that Christianity has ever seen. Ever, ever. Because there will be some that will be saved during the tribulation, but they will die a martyr's death. The last seal we see in Revelation chapter 6 and verses 12 to 15. I watch as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to the earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and Allen was removed from its place. Then the king of kings, the princes and generals, the rich and the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, they hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of who? Him who sits on the what? And from the wrath of the Lamb, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? The sixth seal is God's wrath. Finally, God acts finally he begins and they go in hiding they're hiding in caves and there's earthquakes there is just chaotic mess all across planet earth and the wrath of god is unleashed finally god is acting and they are shaking in fear as a result of it and by the way we're only 21 months into the tribulation period this isn't even the great tribulation the second half of the tribulation Next week, we'll look at the seventh seal, which is divided up into trumpet judgments. But let me close by saying this. Please, this is why I do what I do. Don't leave this room unless you know Jesus Christ. Don't do it, please. Don't do it. Don't play the game any longer. Don't pretend that everything's okay when it isn't. We're about to see some followers of Christ take a bold stand by being baptized and say, I identify with Jesus Christ, and we're going to celebrate that. There's many reasons we do it, but one is they have acknowledged Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they are loud and proud about it. For those of you who don't know Jesus Christ... If you're uncertain, I'm going to ask right now in the link and here in the main, if you're able to, some of you aren't able to, if you're an elder, if you've been a previous elder at grace and then you're in the link or you're in the main, would you move up to the stage left to the corner of each room? Just if you're able to, would you do that? If you've been a former elder or you're, an, if you're an elder, and I'm going to ask you to, this is your chance. If you're an elder or a former elder, would you just do that, please? I want you to come up because I'm going to ask people, even during our baptism, if you're uncertain about your condition with Jesus Christ, would you just go and meet with these men? Please, 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 I beg you. Don't leave this room unless you know Christ is your Savior. Lord, thanks for this day. Thanks for the way you love us and care for us. And thanks for the way we're going to celebrate those who take a bold stand for Jesus Christ thank you for the promises of your word to say we are spared of this time to come because of your plan in our lives. And I pray, Jesus, in the main and the length that no one would leave unless they knew that they knew, and these men could share the good news of Christ. In Jesus' name, we celebrate these baptisms. Amen.